Welcome to another episode of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Well, today on the podcast, it is a special podcast because with me today is the filmmaker of a movie by the name of From the Shadows with Mike Sargent, who also happens to be the co-host of this podcast. Mr. Sargent, how has the last two weeks been, man, since you've put this movie out? Well, it's it's interesting because it it's a return to a part of myself that has not had a lot of attention in mm. the last 10 years because I've been a film I've been more known as a film critic in the last 10 15 years than I am as a filmmaker. So before you continue Mike, I think there's a lot of questions I have about not only the movie but also the filmmaker part of yourself. And I want to dedicate this podcast to understand you, your connection to film, your connection to story. And I also want to talk about identity. So let's get this started. Outside. Don't go out. Absolutely don't go out. Why? I started seeing shadow people. Are you threatening me? You're goddamn right I am. This power chose us to discover it. Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid. Science is now able to advance at a previously unheard of pace. If you break the circle, if you step away, if you fail, you're all. What is From the Shadows about? Essentially, From the Shadows is about two physicists discover something. They discover something that they call hidden wisdom. It taps into some sort of ancient powers that have been around on Earth and have presented themselves to civilizations throughout millennia. And the problem is the compound catches on fire one night and explodes. Almost everybody's killed, but five survivors who are all young people are still alive and now the FBI the press everybody thinks that was this a suicide cult what was the hidden wisdom cult did they start the fire so they're the only ones left and there is a paranormal debunker the most famous paranormal debunker and they reach out to her and say look we want to tell you our story 
And they want to prove to her that what they are saying is true, that they're not these crazy, murderous cult members, that this is something that is real. This is a real power. And they figure if they can convince her, they can convince the rest of the world. So you buried the lead. You have two legends, two (laughs) horror legends in the film, Keith David and Bruce Davison, who have come together to create this movie for you. So I have to ask you, since you were the director, what was it like directing Keith David and Bruce Davison? First of all, I have deep connections to both of them in my life. Keith David, for me, he was one of the first black actors in like major science fiction because he was in The Thing. And he was also in They Live and, and he's done all this great work over the years. And he's somebody, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't like Keith David. But for me, as a young black nerd growing up, having people like Keith David, he was also in Platoon. He's one of those actors. There are only a handful of black actors, really, that were getting work. And he was one of them. And I always loved his work. But I also loved his voice. (laughs) And for me, I'm one of those people that people go, oh, you got a great voice. But then you talk to somebody like Keith David, you're like, oh, I I actually sound like this, don't I? (laughs) So getting to direct Keith David, getting him to read dialogue, just directing that voice, that talent is, it's, it's like a gift. Mm. I will have to tell you one fun story about casting Bruce Davison. So for me, I'm someone who, there was a movie called The Lathe of Heaven. It was a PBS movie in 1980 and I saw it, I was very young and I never forgot it. You're going to sleep in a moment. Now sleep, George. Sleep. In a moment, I'm going to suggest a dream to you, and you will dream that dream. You're going to have a very good dream, George. Beautiful sunshine. No smog. No rain. Antwerp. It's an amazing story about a man whose dreams change reality. And someone, he goes to a dream specialist to try and get cured of his dreams. But the dream specialist realizes his dreams influence reality. So, of course... He changes reality and makes himself like famous and rich and everything. But of course, it all goes awry. It's a fantastic story. And Bruce Davison stars in it. He's got a lot of great lines in it. I used to use sound bites from that on my radio show for like 10 years. Opening my radio show with sound bites from The Lathe of Heaven with Bruce Davison talking. You have a dream problem, don't you? How did you know? No great feat. I'm an onorologist, Mr. Orr, a dream specialist. They always send the dreamers to me. Well, all I want is to stop dreaming. And so maybe 10, 12 years ago, I had him on my radio show live. And then 10 years after that, I finally get to direct him. And again, I had to direct him remotely because we were still in COVID. So I didn't get to meet him till we were on the red carpet. So that was kind of like a complete moment. I I grew up watching him 
played him on my radio show, had him on my show, directed remotely, finally get to meet him. <clears throat> Mike, how did this project come to you? I have a friend named Ian Holt, and I've known Ian for many, many years. He's a writer himself, and he's now producing. In 2020, when COVID hit, everything shut down. And at the time I was teaching a film production course, I think that I, I was teaching film production at the Museum of the Moving Image. And I had to convince the, the people who were, who were running that whole division of what I was doing there that we could do the whole class online. And we did, I did the whole class online. I had 60 students. I still crewed up everybody. We had a director, we had live location shooting. So I did the whole thing online. At some point I was talking to Ian, I told him about that. Somewhere late 2020, he says, hey, there's this movie that came out called Host. Have you ever seen it, Jack, or heard of it? Have you ever done anything like this before? I've never done this over Zoom. Obviously, we're not physically together, but there's no reason why Spirit can't communicate over the internet. Nothing's gonna happen. Visualize us sitting in a circle. Spirit, we invite you to use us to pass on any communication. Is there anyone there? Please come forth. What was that? Amy, was that you? You know, we've connected with something. We gotta keep going, we gotta talk to it. a Zoom horror film about a seance that happens on a Zoom call. No, I did not see that. I'm confused with something else. Yeah, exactly. There's like two or three other movies called Host. Okay, the one's called The Host. And yeah. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I had never heard of you. I was just like you. What, a host? You mean the, the Korean horror monster film? Like, no, no, no. So I saw the movie and guess what? It's really good. And it had done very well. And it was made during the pandemic and it was done remotely. So because of what I had done, Ian said, hey, we want to do like a Zoom slasher film. Would you be willing to direct because you have experience directing remotely? And I said, sure. It's the pandemic. Yes, of course. At the time, they had a writer, Mike Kuchiak, and they weren't even going to have a script. They were just thinking about doing story beats because that's how host had been done. There was no script. They only had story beats and let the actors just go. And I was more interested in let's develop a story. So we did. We wrote a draft of the script. Gave him notes, another draft. So let's say 10, 12 drafts later, it's months later. Now we're into 2021 and things are changing. Now you can actually have people on set and everybody's got to get chat and there's protocols being set and blah, blah, blah. So now we're realizing instead of this, we actually have a pretty good script. Now we could actually, instead of a down and dirty slasher movie, which is not what it was anymore, we could actually get real actors and make a real movie and spend, obviously we don't have a lot of money, but spend a lot more than we were originally in spending. So they, Michael Alden raised the money and then it came down to who do we want to cast, which is a whole other conversation, but that's how I got involved. I, I then of course did the uncredited director's draft and whatnot. And then I directed this actually 
in the fall of 2021, and it's just coming out now. So then you had the movie just screen in Los Angeles and New York fucking city. Were there any emotions about seeing your movie in LA with the premieres? I, we, we all saw photos, press photos of you, Keith, David together, just like mucking it up. Like you guys were old friends. All this while the strike was still going on. So the privilege of having two actors of their status and weight there for you, for the movie. Well, you know, there's so much to unpack there. Were there emotions? Sure. I mean, l- let me just preface this to say we got our SAG waiver, which is a very significant thing at the time. Now, the Red Carpet premiere, let me say this. It's a very interesting thing to do a horror movie. Horror movie is a very specific genre. They have very specific fans. And yes, I'm now, I'm in Getty and all these things. Mike Sargent at the premiere of his film which is kind of surreal in a way, too. But all these horror film icons were there for the red carpet, for the premiere of my film, too. So that was definitely a slightly surreal moment, too, because all these icons of horror, they come out to support other horror films. I didn't know Barbara Crampton. And then there there's so many people there that if, if, you, if you do a search for From the Shadows, Getty, premiere you'll you'll see there's all these people came out to support the film and then what about new york being in new york being able to say yeah my film is playing down at the angelica right now (laughs) which which it which it is right now as we're speaking i have to say yes that feels great going to see it i i went down and and some friends and colleagues came to the screening we did on opening night what was the audience reaction they were all scared appropriately all laughed in the right they the audience really loved it so it's a film I think will play best with an audience, even though it's it's going to now when this airs, it's going to be on Voodoo all month as as the Halloween special. But it, it was a great feeling. It's sort of like doing a play. When you're doing the play, you're getting the response to things. You give the deliver the line, and people should laugh or whatever. But you'll never get that when you're a filmmaker. You just have to be there at a screening and see how the audience responds. So, film. Viewing is an interactive experience. The audience is either with it or not with it. So after it leaves theaters, where can people then watch it? Or It's on Voodoo all month, all, my, all the month of October as a premium Halloween for Halloween. It's on Voodoo for Halloween. It's their, it's this their is featured. The, it's the perfect movie to watch this Halloween. Why don't we play a clip of the movie so people get a little bit more familiar with what they're going to be checking out? This is a scene between... Keith David and Bruce Davison. And they've discovered this hidden wisdom, but now they've kind of parted on, on what should be done with this, with this wisdom and, and what they've tapped into. And they haven't spoken. They both were professors at this college. And this is right after a lecture that Keith David's character has had. And lo and behold, his former partner shows up on a Zoom call that was going on during the lecture. You look around you. We've broken the world. Things aren't going to get better. It's only going to get worse. The human race is destroying itself, but we can stop it. I shall say this one last time in the hope that there remains some last shred of the man I used to know. 
You're headed for darkness, Joseph. This power was not meant for our universe. You must know that I really don't need you, Leonard. I can do this without you. I have others now to help me in my mission. Damn it, man! You're not a messiah! You're not a god! You will only cause more destruction, and I won't be a part of it. I swear by everything that is holy, I will do everything in my power to stop you! Are you threatening me? You're goddamn right I am. What were some of the principles that you wanted to make sure this movie had to contribute to having more of a representative filmmaking industry and a more representative look at what life is like on screen? Well, it was important, of of course, for me to have one of the two scientists be a person of color. We got Keith David, so we lucked out. And it was also even more important to me to have not only a female lead, but a, a female lead by a woman of color. And Selena Andrews, some people know her from WandaVision. She was a major character in that, but she was great. She knocked out of the park, but it was important to me to have that kind of representation because how many horror films with a black female lead can you even think of? You just directed a horror film, yet you're not a horror fan. Explain this to me. I'm not a horror fan, but I can appreciate a good horror movie. I mean, I think we're kind of in a renaissance of horror movies right now. Some of the best horror movies ever have come out in the last 10 years. So horror is a genre like science fiction. I love science fiction, but 90% of it is crap. But it's, it's that 10% that makes you a fan. I've always had somebody in my life who was a big horror person. Always. So I know a lot about horror. I, knew more, I know more about horror film than I want to even. There were a lot of things I could appreciate about horror and a lot of things I understand about why we go see scary movies. What is there? What is the allure of a scary movie? And part of it is just that it makes you feel alive. You're scared. You're feeling you're this, whatever you're feeling, but there's no real danger. So like a roller coaster. Since you made a scary movie, what is the fear that you've had in your childhood, your adult life, maybe in social groups that have been imprinted on this movie? Well, it's interesting. I, I think the, the two things that I think th- that are in the movie were things that scared me as a child was one, the idea that like the toys could come alive <laughs> and kill you. So there Chuck- was that. So the, <laughs> Chuck, well, not Chucky was fun, but just more of like, there used to be a movie called Trilogy of Terror. We had Karen Black in it. And then and it was about this, she bought this little devil doll thing and it just came to life and it was a really scary movie. I never forgot it as a kid. So... Things like that. Just the idea of a doll that would come to life is always kind of a scary concept to me. And just the the darkness, that there's something in the darkness. The darkness could take shape and do something to you. I I think that's scary. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. The the writer Mike Kuchiak had put in The Shadow People, which is a featured thing in the the story because that's part of what they tap into. He had put it in as like a background, like all the people had come to him with hidden wisdom to have some problem solved. And this one girl had 
shadow people. She saw shadow people. And when I saw that, I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I started doing some research. And dude, okay, every culture has something to say about shadow people. And everything that's in the movie is completely true. Everything that is said about shadow people is completely oh. true. And there's more. There's stuff that, that got cut. I mean, it's really, the shadow people is a thing. And, and yeah, from it, Egyptian history. That and that's just one. Egyptians, that's just one. You you keep looking. There's so many. Just put in shadow people sometime into Google and you'll be stunned by how many cultures have some reference to shadow people and have some history. Just like one of the characters says, Native Americans have a whole other definition of what the shadow people are. When I first met you, I met you as a film critic. Then I found out that you were a radio announcer for WBAI Radio. And then I found out that you were the president of the Black Film Critics Circle. And little by little, I started forming an opinion on you and an identity of who you are, of how I associate you in the world. So whenever I see Mike, Here's who Mike is to me. When you emailed me and said, hey, Jack, here's the trailer of my new movie that I directed. I was like, Mike, the film critic, the radio jock is also a filmmaker. And so I could not see you as a filmmaker for a bit. And then I was like, holy smokes. This is really well done. And you also wrote the story. You co-wrote the story. And I'm trying to put a label on you. Now, I know you hate labels. And we've had this conversation of the multi-hyphenate, of the multi-talented people that do many things at many times and code switch whenever it's appropriate and convenient. All of those podcasts that we've done, and you never mentioned you were making a movie. I mean, in my head, when people are making movies, they have to go to Vancouver for like six months. But you were fully present. So I need you to explain how you made a movie while still doing this podcast. That's, that's a good question, Jack. Just to, to touch upon what you first asked, are we defined by what we do or, or who we are? I, I would say we should be defined by who we are. And so then who you are should then dictate what you do. But how am I supposed to know who you are when so many people don't even know who they are? Well, stay with me. I was just going to say, but most people don't do that. They are, they allow themselves to be defined by what they do. I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a hedge fund person. I'm a janitor, I'm whatever it is. When you show up to your radio show, do you show up as filmmaker Mike Sargent? I used to say this. When I watch a film, I watch it as three different people. I watch it as a, I watch it as a film critic. I watch it as a filmmaker. And then I watch it as a oh film Oh, my God. Lover. I can see you show up with two clones of yourself. I do. Right I, next I, to each I, other, I do. And we're all just like looking at each other like a tennis match. Exactly. It's a three-point perspective. The filmmaker in me is looking at the script and the structure and the film lover in me is hopefully enjoying the experiments. The film critic is also breaking it down in a different way. How and how am I rooted it? What am I going to say about this film? I'm saying all this to say that most people know me or whenever people from one aspect of my life find out I do something else. I have a day G. 
And my day gig people are like, what? How, wait a minute. How, how the fuck? How, uh, what do you mean you made a film? So they are much more shocked than you. You at least knew that I did make film. So I, I feel that it comes down to identity. What is my identity? My identity as Mike Sargent, if you get to, the more you get to know me, the more you realize, oh, he's not just this one thing. He's this, there's always a story or a reason or a circumstance to how I got to be doing the different things that I do and the lives that I've had. But I, I feel like, for instance, you said to me, you met me as a film critic. Okay. Then me as a film critic. Then we became friends. So now you don't just know me as a film critic, you know me as a friend. Then we became co-host. Okay, now I'm a friend. I'm a, a colleague as a film critic, but now I'm also a co-host. And then we started writing together. So now I'm a co-host, I'm a writing partner. So it's still me. And these are just different identities. These are just facets of who I am and our relationship. But see, here's the thing. There's a human instinct to just be yes. able Yep. To put you in something yep. that I can yep. understand quickly. Yep. Yep. Because it, please don't make me have to bring right. the chair. Uh, thank you. Thank you. To, to, to give me all your complexities for me to be able to fully understand the breadth and vast grasp of who you are. Exactly. So, and and then you want me to do that to every single human being? Damn. No, dude. no. You just put perfectly why I keep my lives separate. Because I, people don't have to think, who are you? I'm Mike Sargent, senior production manager. Oh, okay. How you doing? Okay. Who are you? Oh, I'm Mike Sargent, film critic. Oh, hey, yeah. How did you like my film? Hey, who are you? Mike Sargent? Yes. I'm the director. Oh, filmmaker, really? Oh, we have a script for you to look at. They don't need to know all these other things. And I only want them to know the work I've done in that area because that's how I'm meeting them. What if I said to you, Mike, I'm going to pay you... $500 to review your own film and I need you to be objective. And you're like, Jack, you can't make me do that. And I go, why? Aren't you a film critic? This poses a philosophical situation. My way of answering that would be to say, I would say, no, I'm not going to do a critique of film <laughs> I would say, no. First of all, $500 is nothing. Okay? Oh my God, uh, review? Well, I'm just you're saying, for me to review my own film, like how, my life's not going to change. But, and to answer that question about being a film critic and being a uh, filmmaker, when I first became, and, and I've said this, I don't know if I've ever said this on the show, but when you're a filmmaker, because I was a filmmaker first, okay, made my film, da-da-da-da, and did the whole thing in L.A. and back and forth. When I became a film critic, it was like being undercover. It's like, ah, these are the people who judge by films and judge films like that. A lot of film critics are like film geeks gone legit. That's, that's how I would put it. And it's not to disparage them because there's tons of them out there. There's 3,500 on Rotten Tomatoes, like mm -hmm. we talked about. So there's lots of film critics out there, but going back to filmmaking, having been a film critic, it gave me a very different perspective on the industry, on where I'm at, where I'm positioned, where we are. There are a lot of things that I gained from being a film critic in terms of film and filmmaking and all the interviews I did. And like I mentioned, I have a book I'm putting together, but my relationship with being a film critic is it was sort of a professional hobby for me. But then all of a sudden it became my main source of income and I had a TV show. And I, at that point, I was going back to filmmaking then 
And then I got derailed because film criticism took over. Now I'm finally steering back to where I want to go. I'd rather be creating content than reviewing content. looking at the future mike and and here's what i'm seeing i'm seeing you have a successful filmmaking career and i'm also seeing you have a successful film critic career as well you're going to tell me that you're now going to say no i'm not going to do film criticism or at what point do the people then go yo we're not going to believe you if you're going to make a film and then be a film critic at the same time first of all let me just redress that i feel i as a filmmaker am a lot more qualified to judge these films than a lot of film critics are but there's a conflict more, of interest here, Mike. Obviously, I'm not seeing films weekly, two, three, four, five films a week if I'm if I'm deep in making a film. Okay. That probably is not going to happen. But like I said, I'd probably be writing more think pieces where I might So you would change at, the film criticism of reviewing I, it, film. it would evolve. Ah. Uh, <laughs> wow, you just don't want to let go. You're like, I'm well, doing it all, baby. I'm doing it all. No, listen, listen. It's not that I don't want to let go. I, I'm open to doing these things. I mean, if you said to me, hey, Mike, we're going to give you the new such and such a series. You're going to direct all 12 episodes and oversee it and da 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 And, and uh, for the next two years, that's what you're going to be doing. I don't think I'd be reviewing films every week at that time, necessarily. I, I'd like to have those kinds of choices in my life. Now that your movie has come out, in six theaters, including Los Angeles and New York, your hometown. Why are you not calling me and saying, hey, Jack, I'm quitting Brown and Black because I got a movie in movie theaters. I don't need this shit and I don't need your shit. Peace, baby. Boom. All right. Well, because this is an independent film and not like a film where I got paid five million. If I get paid five million dollars, I'd be like... He's baby. But that that's not what happened. Independent filmmaking is the 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 quote unquote money to be made on the film is still yet to be made. It's just going out now. It's going out, like I said, on voodoo and whatnot. But I also don't have I mean, there are other things I'm in talks for, but I don't have something else lined up that's gonna pay me enough to say, Hey, stop so what tell you're me doing. tell me then let's talk a little bit about the business aspect of this. Sure. When can a filmmaker that's listening to this right now, a young filmmaker that's trying to get into the business and he has an idea and he's like, oh my God, Mike Sargent just made an indie film. Let me go check it out. If Mike Sargent can do it. Mike Sargent just inspired me to really go for this and commit to making a film. If this guy could do it while having a full-time gig, doing podcasts, radio shows, and still banging out an awesome project, then what's holding me back? So then he comes in and he bangs this out, but in his head, he's thinking, I'm going to be sleeping in couches in LA. And Mike's like, I'm not sleeping in anybody's couch. So what's the trick? How do you get to make films, put them out in theaters 
And well, first of all, if I was talking to a young filmmaker, filmmaker, I would say the reality is there are no Medici's. So you got to have a, a gig to support your art until your art can support you. So that's mm-hmm. just a, a given. So you making know? your so, first film, which is what I think most people think is as soon as you make a film, you're a millionaire. Residuals, money, press, fame. I can walk into any restaurant, say, I'm a filmmaker because it's status. People bow down, the deference. All of this is supposed to happen, right? That's like a fantasy of of filmmaking, and it's not even close to that. But I will say this the stories that you read, like of people who like all of a sudden overnight success, they were at Sundance, and then yeah, believe me, it, it takes a lot to get into Sundance. And as a filmmaker, a lot of those people have done labs, been studying film. My rule of thumb is this, okay, as a, any artist, this is the advice I, I give. There's only two steps to being successful, okay? Getting the goods and selling the goods. So first thing is get good, whatever it is, get good at it. If you're, gonna, if you're making film, make shorts, do this, do that, do all kinds of like, Learn as much as you can about your craft, even if you're just making films on your phone. Just get good at it Mm -hmm. because there's tons of things you can do. So that's one. Two, then selling the goods. That to me means you need to know the industry you're in. You need to know where you're at. You need to know who the players are. You need to know the lay of the land. And you need to know how to sell yourself. You need to. And if you don't know how to sell yourself, then you need to get with people who can help you sell you your ideas. Whether you want to do crowdfunding, whether you want to put your TV show. If you can't sell your idea, it doesn't matter how good it is. And if people who are better at selling than their actual ideas will always do better than the people who have the great ideas and don't know how to sell it. So at the end of the day, if you want to get in theaters, you want to get noticed, you want to, I mean, all those are steps to get there. And you'll know what those steps are if you've, my first film was a romantic comedy and now I just made a paranormal horror and I love science fiction. So I, I would like to make the kind of films I want to see. So, but TV, TV's changed. There's a lot you can do on TV. So yeah, I absolutely like to be making and creating multicultural stories for a global audience. That's what I'd like to be doing. And that could be in film or television. Not to say that I wouldn't want to do podcasts, but I, I, I'd like to be getting paid to create stories like that. You're a black filmmaker. You've dedicated your career to promoting black stories, underrepresented stories. What is the story that you would love to tell that you feel you haven't been able to do just yet? Well, the reason I want to make film is because of a project called the James Scott Project, which is a sort of a secret agent in space in the future. In a the James Bond, you know, a black James Bond sort of, in yeah, space. A, a sort of a black James Bond in space. That would be the, the high concept. That would be the log line. And it's something I had, something I did as a radio drama, something that had a fan club. We did, we had posters, and t-shirts and, and prints and things. It was something that was very popular at one time. It, it's what got me an agent at William Morris back in the day. And it was something that almost got made. George Romero almost got, yeah. What? George Romero, just to bring in the hard George yes, Romero? Was George Romero. Director? Well, 
he had a meeting with me. They, they wanted it. They, they wanted to take the whole thing down. And I wouldn't have been involved with the rewrite and all that. No, I didn't do it. So, so you. So yeah, it almost happened. Could have so yeah, almost had your this. movie directed by George Romero, created by Mike Sargent on the big screen. Dude, I could tell you so many almost happened stories, but yeah, let yeah there there I have even bigger almost than that for James Scott Project. Well, I can tell you, Mike, that I enjoyed watching this movie. I thought that the pace was great. I had just watched Gal Gadot's Heart of Stone. That movie was an uh, utter mess because of pacing. But here in this movie, y- y- you balanced really well the scares, but also the philosophical approach to the dialogue. The dialogue was captivating. It was tense. It played well. It was like a nice flow and dance with it. So it allowed me to lis- actively listen to what each character was saying leading up to a nice crescendo dude this was pretty bloody man like i don't want to say too much about it but there was a scene with the eye and i'm like yeah. come on mike. i'm watching here come on i mean like my poor eyes are feeling like we're gonna sit with nightmares now well and so horrible be fans you gotta have some gore you got to have some gore it's a bloody good time Well, that's it for this special episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And Mike, where can everybody see From the Shadows? They can see From the Shadows on Voodoo all throughout the month of October. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black.